0: Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. If you are watching on YouTube and you like it, click on that super thanks button under the video. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can also go to McClanahan Academy if you want to support the show. It's a great way to support the show because you get awesome content when you purchase classes there, and I've got over 20. You're going to want them. Plus, you can go to brianmclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Click on the support tab. Again, another way to throw a few pennies my way. Click on the shop tab. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Go to learntruehistory.com. Learn that is my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. I teach there with Tom, a lot of other great instructors. So That's another great way to support the show. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. That is a great way to support the show because you're spreading the word. Share the podcast around on social media. Send me those show requests. I'd like to hear what you want to hear. And as always, I appreciate your support. This is a listener-generated episode. I was sent this by uh, a listener to the show and asked me to comment on it. So it's an article that appeared in American Greatness. Again, American Greatness is an interesting website because it does publish things by Paul Gottfried, but it's generally controlled by the Straussians. And in this particular case, you have one of the most important Straussians in America writing an article, and that would be Victor Davis Hanson. Now, Hanson, look, I-, I like a couple of Hanson's books. Carnage Engine Culture is a fun book to read. Um, he is a military historian by trade, but... Uh, Hansen is, uh, is an interesting case study and um, you don't really understand what you're doing, right? So for years, Hansen has had a very important boogeyman and that would be the Confederacy. Just about anything the left does is the Confederacy. This is the Confederacy. This is the Confederacy. This is John C. Calhoun, which in Hansen's mind is just part of the Confederacy, even though he was dead for a decade before the Confederacy was formed. But the South has always been... The evil other in American society. Now, Hansen, of course, is from California, and this particular piece that was sent to me does focus a little bit on California. He's very upset about the fact that, you know, people talk about California secession. He doesn't like the leftward lurch of California in the last, say, thirty years. I mean, extreme leftward lurch. It's not just a little bit. I mean, California has gone so far left. it's, uh, you know, could be a a state in the old Soviet Union. In fact, this is what it's about. However, I would say that what's going on with the modern left today isn't necessarily the Soviet Union. It's the tactics they're using are very much like uh, the tactics the Soviets would use, the, uh, the fifth column type tactics, the instability and these kind of things. But the modern left is different from old Marxists. I mean, the Soviets radically transformed every element of Russian society except for the very conservative basis of the society. And so this happened across Eastern Europe, right? I remember I had a student, I've said it on this podcast before, I had a student years ago from Romania, and she talked about how uh, they were all excited when she was a girl, that the uh, the Soviet Union fell and the communist government in Romania was gone. And she said they were just eager to find out what, what America was going to bring. She says all they brought was drugs, cowboy movies, and dance music. And they destroyed the traditional Romanian culture, which was very conservative. And she didn't like that. And when you look at the kitchen debate between Khrushchev and Nixon, back when Richard Nixon was vice president, and Khrushchev came in, and they were going through a Sears. And uh, they stopped by, a, you know, what, what Sears had put up, a display of a modern American kitchen. And Nixon made a comment, look, Uh, This kitchen is great because it saves our women time so they can go out and they can go to work. And Khrushchev's response was, why would you want your women to go to work? We want them home in the kitchen having babies. And this showed that there was a a dramatic shift in how Americans were thinking about society and culture in this very conservative old order in Russia. Now, the Soviet Union was horrible uh, in, in so many different ways. And, of course, the police state, the spying, all the repression, all these things. Horrible stuff. Culturally, and these, and when it comes to family and other things, um, there were certain elements of this Eastern Bloc communism that were still very traditional. Now, they did promote uh, egalitarianism uh, in in variety of ways that the West did not for years. But, again, if you look at Russia today, the, the country of Russia... Um, culturally, it's more conservative than other parts of the West. Um, and so and it's, it's revitalized the Eastern Orthodox Church. So there's a lot going on here that's, there, there's just some, uh, some discordant parts of this that I think that when you use the term Sovietization, which is what Victor Davis Hansen does in this piece, you have to understand that the cultural part of what we're seeing in America today was not something the Soviet Union would have accepted. Now, I think it's more accurate to say this is something that maybe the French revolutionaries would have accepted. In fact, what we're seeing is more of a French revolu- a soft French revolution in America. I think that's more in line with what's going on today rather than the Sovietization of America. It's more of, a, of an enlightenment, uh, soft French revolution. I say soft because we're not seeing wholesale uh, violence. Um, and, and when I say wholesale violence, I'm talking about the guillotine and other things. Executions. Uh, We are seeing violence. I mean, we saw it last summer, or two summers ago, in 2020. And, of course, that produced a whole wave of other things. Um, Iconoclasts coming around and tearing down monuments. and I mean, that kind of stuff is certainly French revolutionary uh, because it is trying to tear down the existing order, right? So there's a part of that. But I want to get into this piece because I think Hansen actually does a good job. Every now and then, Hansen puts out something that's worthwhile. He is a conservative, um, and he is a conservative culturally, to a point, even though I would say that when I say he's the, he's the ultimate Straussian, by bashing the South continuously for years, which is what he's done, by trying to tear down Calhoun and, and uh, which, as Russell Kirk pointed out, was one of the most important conservatives in American history. By trying to tear down all this stuff, you've opened the door for these things. The initial response, to any impetus to tear down anything in the South or anything traditional in America should have been, no, shut up. That was it. No, shut up, you're no. No, you're not getting this. No, be quiet. Sit down, shut up. Go away. Um, And if people, conservatives, really wanted to push back against the left, they would have done this You know, 30 years ago. They would have done it in 2000. I I can't remember now, but I think Hansen, say in, in 2000, was perfectly fine, for example, with... Uh, any removal of Confederate symbols you know in South Carolina, they're all fine with this stuff. Why because they're Lincolnian nationalists. And to them Lincoln is the ultimate expression of American conservatism when no one in the 19th century would have recognized Lincoln as a conservative. they would they wouldn't have. I mean Lincoln was not a conservative. Certainly he said things that would try to get the voters of Illinois on his side and those would uh, be very uh, you know racist things that Lincoln said. But that was a general opinion on race, in the United States in the middle of the 19th century, North and South, right? So, I mean, he wasn't a conservative in the way that he viewed the American economy and the way he viewed American society. Lincoln elevating the Declaration as something that the founding generation didn't even consider it to be. I mean, so Lincoln was not conservative, and what Lincoln did was open the door, and what the Republican Party did in the 19th century was open the door to 19th century leftists, which are the conservatives, quote-unquote, today, Right? So, they're not even conservative. Uh, these 19th century leftists, Thad Stevens Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and, I mean, they're not conservatives. They weren't conservatives in the 1860s. And by tr- uh, trumpeting these people as somehow, this is the Republican Party, the Republican Party has always been this, this, and this, so what you're saying is Republican you know, American conservatism is, is not conservative. I think that's the sad thing about all of this. Is these people really don't know what they did, and by constantly hammering the south we need to get rid of robert e lee and jefferson davis these people are traitors the confederacy the confederacy the confederacy what you've done is suggest that uh, anything traditional america needs to go away and if you take down jefferson davis and robert e lee well why not george washington and thomas jefferson why not abraham lincoln abraham lincoln made very racist statements why not take down these people the answer should have been to all of this no shut up if you want new monuments fine if we want to talk about other people in American history that deserve a monument or a respect or a plaque or a holiday, whatever it is, let's talk about that. But let's not tear down the stuff that's already there. So let's get into this piece. Um, I'm going to quickly go through it. But it's the Sovietization of American life. And Hansen says, One day historians will look back at the period beginning with the COVID lockdowns of spring 2020 through the midterm elections of 2022 to understand how America for over two years lost its collective mind and turned into something unrecognizable, antithetical to its founding principles. Now, let me stop there. I would say that this goes back further than that. I mean, this really goes back to 2015. You could say it goes back to the early 2000s. Again, all of enhancing was part of this. All of this push to somehow create this Lincolnian nationalism, one size fits all, and control of the center is the important thing to do. Hanson was certainly part of it. But I think, yeah, the last two years have been pretty dramatic. But going back to 2015, where was Hanson? A lot of these people that are now complaining about what's happening were at least somewhat sympathetic about tearing down Confederate symbols in 2015. I mean, um, where was he in 2015 in South Carolina when uh, there was a discussion there or other parts of the South about these particular monuments and, and uh, certain parts of American culture. Where, why? Where was Hanson then? He was not speaking out against it. So, I mean, this is, this is the funny thing about all this. I, we, we could say, we told you so, right? And so now you're a little late to the game, but at least he's starting to say some of the right things here. Sovietization is perhaps the best diagnosis of the pathology. Refers to the subordination of policy, expression, popular culture, and even thought to ide- ideological mandates. Ultimately, such regimentation destroys a state since dogma wears with, wars with, and defeats meritocracy, creativity, and freedom. Right? So uh, he's saying, right? Dogma, this this ideology, goes against meritocracy. Excuse me, creativity and freedom. It's early as I record this. I'm sorry. So. He's right about this, right? This this ideology, this left left wing ideology, does go after the idea of a natural aristocracy, and this is what the founders did talk about. Jefferson talked about it, Hamilton talked about it. I mean, other people in the founding generation talked about it. There was a natural aristocracy, uh, aristocracy to society, not just something that was fabricated. Which is, um, you know, when we when we think about that, um, that's what if you look at the founding generation, they were against an artificial aristocracy, but not a natural aristocracy. They talked about it. Experts become syncophantic. They mortgage their experience and talent to ideology to the point where society itself regresses. The law is no longer blind and disinterested, but adjudicates indictment, prosecution, verdict, and punishment on the ideology of the accused. Eric Holder is held in contempt of Congress and smiles. Peter Navarro is held in contempt of Congress and is hauled off in cuffs and leg irons. James Clapper and John Brennan lied under oath to Congress and were rewarded with television contracts. Roger Stone did the same and a SWAT team showed up at his home. Andrew McCabe made false statements to federal investigators and was exempt. A setup. George Papadopoulos went to prison for a similar charge. So goes the new American commissariat. And this is true, right? I mean, we do see a double standard in these things. People on the, on the so-called right are often hauled off to jail or persecuted, but those on the left don't even get anything, right? They, they simply get off without having anything happen to them. And I think a lot of Americans are seeing this. The problem is there's no there's no accountability. The only accountability you can have, of course, would be to try to get rid of the people in Congress, but you're not going to see that wholesale. This is why where Hanson doesn't get it is what he thinks is the confeder- uh, Confederacy, right? Making California like the Confederacy, this issue of decentralization, is the, re- is the only real solution to these things. Not Lincolnian nationalism, not more power in the center, but less power in the center. You've got to delegitimize the center. Examine California and ask a series of simple questions. Why does a state that formerly served as a model to the nation regarding transportation now suffer inferior freeways while its multi-billion dollar high-speed rail project remains an utter boondoggle and failure? Why was it safe and critically needed last remaining nuclear power plant scheduled for shutdown and only recently reversed, as the state faced summer brownouts? Why did its forest go up in smoke predictably each summer, as its timber industry and the century-old science of forest management all but disappeared from the state? Why did the state's criminals so often evade indictment, and if convicted, are not often not incarcerated or are quickly paroled? Why are its schools' test scores dismal? It's gasoline at the nation's highest price, and the streets of its major cities fetid and dangerous, in a fashion not true 50 years ago or elsewhere today. In a word, the one-party state... Is Sovietized. Public policy is no longer empirical, but subservient to green, diversity, equity, and inclusion dogmas, and detached from the reality of daily middle-class existence. Decline is ensured once ideology governs problem-solving rather than time-tested and successful policy-making. Now, what he just said there is interesting, right? He's, he's this is a war against ideology. What, what he's saying in this piece, and that you have tradition against ideology, but he's also suggesting uh, pragmatism in a way, um, but. What we are seeing in America are the ideologues taking over. And it doesn't matter if the ideologues are on one side or the other. Ideology is a dangerous thing. Nationalism is a dangerous ideology because it, it, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's nationalism. It's an ideology. And conservative. a conservative is not really an ideologue at all. A real conservative is not someone that says, well, these are the policy prescriptions based on X, Y, and Z, but simply through tradition. And the most traditional thing you can find in America, frankly, is decentralization. You go back to the founding generation. What was their reaction to all of the things that were happening from the 1760s all the way through into the early 19th century? It was decentralization. It wasn't more centralization. Well, what about the Constitution? McClanahan was centralization, not the way it was sold. In fact, it was argued that that would not happen. The Constitution was going to create a federal republic, just like what they had under the Articles. There would be a little more power in the center over things like taxation and trade, which is exactly what they had in the British system, but the states were left to all of these social issues, right? So they could do anything they wanted there. Centralization was always the enemy, and the founding generation to a man recognized this, that is the most traditional thing we could do. California is going, uh, going to crap because California is just going to be California. All the people there are insane uh, outside of a few pockets, right? So that's the, California relax, reflects the political culture of the area. He says, In a similar fashion, the common denominator in Joe Biden's two years of colossal failures is Soviet-like edicts of equity, climate change, and neo-socialist redistribution that have ensured for the non-elite in any event Soaring inflation, unaffordable energy, rampant crime, and catastrophic illegal immigration. Playing the role of Pravda, Biden and his team simply denied things were bad, uh, relabeled failures as successes, and attacked his predecessor and critics as various sorts of counterrevolutionaries. Biden rejected common sense, bipartisan policies that in the last and the past kept inflation low, energy affordable, crime controlled, and the border manageable. Instead, he superimposed leftist dogma on every decision whose ideological purity, not real-life consequences for millions, was considered the measure of success. Well, I do agree with this. I mean, Biden has been a tool for the far left since he's gotten into office. There was always a question of whether that would happen, but certainly we're seeing it, right? Um, and this is the spin. This is, this is when he says Pravda. I mean, the spin becomes important in all of this. Well, this is actually a success. Your chocolate rations have gone up. I mean, see? Uh, we're, we're having successes here. Of course, entire professions have now been lost to radical progressive ideology. Do you remember those stellar economists who swore at a time of Biden's vast government borrowing increases in the monetary supply, incentivizing labor, non-participation, supply chain interruptions, that there was no threat to inflation? Well, what about Trump? I mean, this is where I, I, would, I would quibble with, with Hansen because Trump was doing the exact same things, right? This is This is not just Democrat and Republican. This is nationalist. This is establishment. This is what these people do. You can go back to Bush and talk about the same things and the tarp and everything else. With adherence of ideological modern monetary theory, did they ignore their own training and expertise? I'm sorry, an experience and fealty to progressive creeds. What about the Stanford doctors who signed a groupthink letter attacking their former colleague, Dr. Scott Atlas, because he questioned the orthodoxies of Dr. Anthony Fauci and the state bureaucracies? who we know now hid their own involvement with channeling funding to deadly gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Did they reject his views on empirical grounds and welcome a give-and-take shared inquiry or simply wish to silence an ideological outlier and advisor to a despised counter-revolutionary? Or how about the 50 retired intelligence, ex- intelligence experts who swore that Hunter Biden's laptop was not genuine, but likely Russian disinformation? Did they really rely on hundreds of years of collective expertise to adjudicate the laptop, or did they simply wish to reward, be rewarded with something comparable to a Hero of Woke America award? Or what about the 1,000 medical professionals who claimed violating quarantine and protective protocols for Black Lives Matter demonstrations was vital for the mental health of the, of the protesters? Or the Princeton creators of a video identifying Jonathan Katz as a sort of public enemy for the crime of stating that racial discrimination of any sort was toxic? And again, this is where people are unaccountable. The left does control, the progressives do control the major media outlets. They control the establishment. They do all these things. They control the medical establishment. They control the corporations. We're living with a monumental, I've said it before, it's Mount Everest and you're trying to climb it with flip-flops and shorts. The key is decentralization. Not something Hanson wants, but it's what this is why Think Locally, Act Locally is the whole theme of this particular program. These things can be handled at the local level. Some of this stuff, he's complaining about California. Well, get out of California. Move. Right? I mean, this is, this is where I've said to move. Leave. Let California go the way it is. In fact, if red states really want to do the right thing, they would start to push for California to be booted out of the union. It can happen. Texas v. White. Supreme Court decision said, they said secession is illegal. No, they didn't. They said unilateral secession was illegal, even though it's really not. But that's what they said. But they also said that if the rest of the states wanted to boot a state out of the Union, they could do it. They could boot it out. So red states should start talking about getting rid of California. It would be beautiful. There can be no expertise under Sovietization. Everything and everyone serves ideology. Our military, especially its four-star generals, current and retired, parroted perceived ideologically correct thought. Repeating party lines about diversity, white supremacy, and climate change are far more relevant for career advancement than proof of prior effective military leadership in battle. The ultimate trajectory of a woke military was the fatal disgrace in Afghanistan. Ideologues in uniform kept claiming that the humiliating skedaddle was a logical success, and that misguided bombs that killed innocents were were called a righteous strike. Afghanistan all summer of 2021 was to be Joe Biden's successful model of a graduated withdrawal in time for a 20th anniversary commemoration of 9-11, until it suddenly wasn't. Pentagon decision-making increasingly privileges race, gender, sexuality, and green goals over traditional military lethality, a fact known to all who are up for promotion, retention, or disciplinary action. How predictable it was that the United States fled cabal, abandoning not just billions of dollars' worth of sophisticated weapons to terrorists, but also with pride flags flying, George Floyd murals on public walls and gender studies initiatives being carried out in the military ranks. Ask yourself, if a general during the Afghanistan debacle had brilliantly organized a sustainable and defensive corridor around Bagram Airfield, but was known to be skeptical of Pentagon efforts to address climate change and diversity, would he be praised or reviled? The, the elite universities in their single-minded pursuit of wokeness are ironically doing America a great favor. For a long time, their success was due to an American fetishization fediza- of brand names, but now... Most privately accept that a B.A. from Princeton or Harvard is no longer an indication of acquired knowledge, mastery of empiricism, or predictive uh, of inductive thinking over deductive dogmatism. Instead, we now understand various lettered certificates serve as stamps for career advancement, proof either, either of earlier high school achievement that merely won the bare admission to the select, or confirmation that the graduate possesses the proper wealth, contacts, athletic ability, race, gender, or sexuality— to be invited to the club, universities' abandonment of test scores and diminution of grades, replaced by community service and race, gender, and sexual criteria, has simply clarified the bankruptcy of the entire education, higher education industry. So yes, there's a lot of this going on, and I think there is a cheapening of college degrees and what it means to general, general generally to Americans. I don't really care about these things as much anymore. Our diversity statements required for hiring at many universities are becoming comparable to Soviet certificates of proper marxist leninist fidelity like the children of soviet party apparatchiks privileged university students now openly attack faculty whose reading requirements or lectures supposedly exude sense of colonialism or imperialism or white supremacy faculty interestingly fear offering merit evaluation and terror that diversity commissars might detect in their grading an absence of uh, repertory race or gender appraisals The result is still more public cynicism about higher education because it is apparent that the goal is to graduate with a stamp from Yale or Stanford that ensures prestige, success, and ideological correctness on the supposition that few will ever worry exactly what or how one did while enrolled. Now, again, the the degree has become a rubber stamp. It's become something that you get, and students think that because they're paying for it, they deserve a grade. This has become something across the board. You can talk to anybody in higher education. Even in high schools, they're starting to see this now. The students think they deserve grades. And, of course, it all, it, cheating is rampant. I mean, it's, it's become a real problem. And so uh, the, the grades are becoming, the, the degrees are becoming less and less a reflection of students' knowledge and more and more just, give me the paper so I can go get a job. But what are we doing there? I mean, are these people really prepared to be out into the workforce? We have our own Emmanuel Gold scenes who, we are told, deserve our three minutes of hate for counter-revolutionary thought and practice. Donald Trump earned the enmity of the CIA, the FBI, the Justice Department, and the IRS. Now Elon Musk and his companies are suddenly the targets of the progressive state, including repartees from the president himself. To vent, the popular Soviet directs its collective enmity at, at Dave Chappelle or Bill Maher, progressives who exhibit the occasional counter-revolutionary heresy. Cabinet secretaries ignore, ignore their duties, Somewhat understandable given their resumes never explain their appointments. What binds a Pete Buttigieg, Alejandro Mayorkas, and Jennifer Granholm is not expertise in transportation, border security, or energy independence, but allegiance to an entire menu of woke policies that are often antithetical to their own job descriptions. Diversity, equity, and inclusion started out as mandated proportional representation as defined by the state allotting spoils of coveted emissions, hiring, honors, and career advancement, by race and gender percentages in the general population. It must be said here that um, back in the 60s, when there was talk about these things, uh, there was actually a a big debate between uh, some members of the Senate, Sam Irvin, for example, who worried about quotas. And they were told, this was leading into the 70s, they were told that quotas were not part of this. And in fact, quotas were illegal. But we see now that there are soft quotas, right? They can't just come out and say we're going to have so many people Uh, But we're going to have a soft quotas. we're not going to hire this person or this person. We're going to hire this person, uh, whether they're qualified, maybe there's somebody more qualified or not. And this is dangerous for everybody, because everyone's going to start questioning, are you really more qualified, or did you get the job because of X, Y, or Z? This is dangerous for everyone involved, and it doesn't always result in the best people in positions. This has been said since all this stuff started. That's something we have to worry about as a society. It's not about the natural aristocracy or meritocracy, as Hanson pointed out at the beginning of this. It's about, do you check off the boxes? And that's not a good way for a society to run. The subtext was that federal and state governments imported and incorporated largely academic theories that alleged any disequilibrium was due to bias. More, More specifically, racial and sexual prejudices were to be exposed and punished by morally superior castes. And politics, bureaucracy, and the courts. There's never any interest in detailing how particular individuals were personally harmed by the system or by the other, which explains the left's abhorrence of racially blind class based criteria to establish justified need. In the last five years, American Sovietization has descended into repertory representation. Due to prior collective culpability of whites, heterosexuals, and males, marginalized self defined groups of victims must now be overrepresented in emissions, hiring, and visibility in popular culture. And the, so, As the Soviets and Maoists discovered, and was true of the Jacobins, National Socialists, and Cultural Marxists, once racial ideology defines success, then life in general becomes anti, uh, anti-meritocracy. The public privately equates awards and recognition with political fealty, not actual achievement. I mean, the, again, he brings up the Jacobins, and I think the Jacobins are more... You go back to the French Revolution. This is where this all begins. We need to be talking about these people, not as Soviets, but as French, soft French revolutionary style uh, 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 people that are intent on entire destruction of society. I mean, this is, this is what the French Revolution was about, starting at year zero. When it comes to history, the French waged a war on history. I mean, they tore down everything. The Soviets did too. And there would be no Soviet Union without the French. The French are the model, The French revolutionaries are the model. And when you go back in and you start teaching Western civilization, if we teach the French Revolution as this grand thing, we're doing Western society a disservice. It's it's great to talk about how destructive the Soviets were and all of that. That needs to be done. But we cannot promote the French Revolution as anything grand. It wasn't. Recent Netflix productions and reflections of Merit or ideological criteria governing race and gender? Do the Emmys, Tonys, or Oscars convey recognition of talent or of an adherence to progressive agendas of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Does a Pulitzer Prize, a Ford Foundation grant, or a MacArthur Award denote talent and achievement, or more often promote diversity, equity, and inclusion narratives? And he asks, where does, a so- where does woke Soviet- Sovietization end once accountability advantages and ideology masks incompetence and malfeasance? We are starting to see the final denouement. Uh, I'm sorry. With missing baby formula, epidemics of shootings and hate crimes, train robbings reminiscent of the Wild West in Los Angeles, tombstone-esque shoot-up Saturday nights in Chicago, spiking electricity rates and brownouts, seven-dollar a gallon di- gas, uh, diesel fuel, unaffordable and scarce meat, and entire ind- industries from air travel to home construction that simply no longer work. Everyone knows that the status of our homeless population in Los Angeles or San Francisco is medieval, dangerous, and unhealthy. And everyone knows that any serious attempt to remedy the situation would cause one to be labeled an apostate, counter-revolutionary, an enemy of the people. So like good Eastern Europeans of the Warsaw Pact in the 1960s, we mutter one thing under our breath and nod another publicly. Behind all our disasters, there looms an ideology, a creed that ignores cause and effect in the real world without a shared concern for the damage done to those outside the nomenclature. So, yes, I mean, this is this. But again, the way out of this is for good people to stand up and just say, no, nah, no, we're not doing that. No, shut up. And to start saying the right things and working from the bottom up. This is not going to happen with the president. This is not going to happen with the Congress. If California needs to be cleaned up, I, I, I do. I mean, California is trying to there are people in California trying to push back, trying to get rid of the D.A. in San Francisco, trying to have a new mayor in in Los Angeles. They're trying to do some things to clean these these areas up. And I think enough, when, when good people decide this enough is enough, you're going to see some changes. But it has to come from the bottom up. And there's nobody in Washington, D.C. that's going to come riding in on a white horse to save us. In fact, D.C. is lost. D.C. is lost. There's no saving it. I don't care what people say. There's no saving D.C. Just because you vote Republicans in doesn't mean anything's going to change in the next election cycle. In fact... I could say it's, you know, it's it's maybe only going to get worse in some ways. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClane Hunt show. I'll see you tomorrow for the next one. See you then.